I'm a little tired this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. And uh, anyone tired? Anyone tired? Um, my family's in town, and they, so they stayed night last night. And uh, um, I, didn't, I don't drink coffee past 8 o'clock because I realize as you get older that ca- caffeine has more of an impact on you. And uh, so last night I could not sleep. I was sitting here just wired, laying in bed. And I have a four-month-old, so we, I don't need help, like, being tired, okay? But last night I was thinking, and uh, the Lord, uh, it's kind of cool how the Lord works sometimes. Uh, because, you know, I work with students. And I, I love my calling that God's given me. I'm going to be diligent to the call he's given me to me now. And, uh, and so, but it, it's always an honor to be able to come and uh, preach a message here on Sunday mornings. And, uh, but God kind of reminded me of something that was very... Uh, something I never really not thought of before. And uh, it's it so weird because, you know, uh, my family is not like a ministry family. So, like, I, my parents weren't, like, you know, pastors and weren't, like, worked, served in the church. Like, then they helped in church, but, you know, weren't on staff. And so, um, but it's just so crazy. When we went to First Baptist Mount Vernon, that's where we grew up. I remember, I don't know why God gave me this last night, uh, probably because it was 1 o'clock and I couldn't sleep. And, um, and I remember when I was in first grade, and I would look at the pastor, Pastor Gary. He was a chaplain in the army, and he, was, and he ended up getting deployed later. But I remember looking up and picturing myself preaching when I was in first grade. Now, look, public speaking has scared me all my life, okay? So never once have I ever wanted to do, you know, be in public speaking where I have to talk in front of people. That's never been on my radar, never wanted to do it. When I was graduating high school, I wanted to go straight into the military, or I wanted to be a physical ther- therapist, but I realized that was way too much school. I'm not doing that. And then I wanted to be an electrician. So three jobs, I don't have to public speak. And then God calls me into something that, that's the primary mode of the way I serve is speaking, which is crazy. And that's what I love about what God does. And so I'm going to preach a message today called Drawn to Fire. And uh, what's so fun about today's message is that we're going to tell a story. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy who really, uh, quite confusing, and uh, you know, it sounds kind of out of order, and in pretty, pretty much in this guy, he was drawn to fire and had to walk through it. And what I love about his story, it's very confusing, and like when he's trying to tell a story, it jumps around a lot, so like just warning you. Like, and actually, I want to say I'm the person who likes, a, who's, who can tell a story really precise, like one, two, three, but actually, that's not me. I wrote in my notes, I am that person, but I'm the person who's telling a story and then has to back up and say, oh, wait, I got to give you this background information, then realize I have to give you the context of what was happening before I actually, and then I end up forgetting to tell you the story that I was originally going to share. Okay, so that's me, and that's this guy too. And so our guy that we're going to be talking about today, um, basically, from a young age, people were preparing him to do the job he was supposed to do. And he really didn't have much say in it because it was kind of a family business. And it was very an isolating job for him and often struggled with feeling capable and uh, prepared to do what his family has expected him to do. And I'll just say real quick, expectations are a hard thing. They're a heavy burden on us, expectations, and trying to meet expectations. And so I think to say the guy that I'm talking about, he struggled and will always struggle with doing what he was told to do. And I know a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was pretty young when he started. And often I sat with him. I started ministry when I was 18. I had no idea what I was doing, and now I'm 24, and I still don't know what I'm doing. And I still fight against being young. But in my own life, I've had people say to me, I'll be there. I'll help you out. If you have questions, come ask me. And that's what our guy had too. He had Papa. And he started his job, and it's going well. He lacked confidence, but he was encouraged. 
and he, got, he gets to work. But immediately when he gets to work, except his family now, in a sense, turns on him, turned away. They really had forgotten all that they had gone through, and he's the one who was constantly having to remind them. And Except nobody likes to be called out, especially being called out by someone who they raised. Uh, I think the phrase is, I brought you into the world, I can take you out, right? And so this guy's family have been letting the influence of other people impact them. And really, it was people who had money and nice things, which is tempting to look at what everyone has and what you don't have. And so you get to Papa, who's kind of like the family person who's like watching out for our guy in the family. And he pretty much, at this point, they've turned away from him, and he wants to just kind of, he says, it's no use. They're not going to come back to me. And time and time again, I've sent people, but they don't listen. And finally, he gets to the point where he's going to say, okay, I'm going to have to cut him off for a while. And then when that happens, the family says, hey, wait, 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 what are you doing? Why are you leaving this high and dry? And it's very easy for, it's very typical of people to forget the thousands of times you've helped them out. And then Papa says to our guy, you know what? Okay, you tell him, come back, and we'll work it out. But they're probably going to be pretty upset with you. And probably to the point where I'll have to do what I said I was going to do and cut them off. And of course, our guy's torn because he's the middleman between this, between family and Papa. He tries to warn his family, and of course they won't listen to him. Hardships come and go several times, and when they reach their end, so when the family is done, they want to be bailed out. They offer to send gifts to Papa as a peace offering, but he just says, you know, just keep your gifts. When I bailed you out the first time, I didn't want your gifts then. I just wanted you to trust me and love one another. And so our guy in this story, he's feeling intrinsically attached to the situation. And he feels like all the hardships that his family is going through is his fault. And he's telling them how to fix it, but they don't listen. And so he just wants to give up and, often, and tries to several times and leave because all his family does is lie to him and to one another. So it's not, just, it's not a good situation. So then in turn, at this point, his family, you know what his family does? Blame him for everything going on, which it has nothing to do with him. And even though he knows Papa is right, so he goes to him and kind of speaks his peace to him. He says, you're getting so mad at our family. Why don't you get upset with those who are leading them astray, which is fair to say. But I kind of see it this way. What good is it to do to get onto someone else's kids when that's how they were raised? How do you expect them to act? His kids should have known better. Like when I got in trouble with my parents and I was with my friends, my parents didn't ground my friends, did they? They came and addressed me and they said, I don't care about what they're doing. What are you doing? And so that's kind of what Papa is doing here. But as I mentioned earlier, this is a family ordeal. And so kind of our guys, cousins, let's say that, are saying that they heard Papa say, it's going to be all fine. We're going to make it. And he says, no, 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 don't listen to them. Don't worry, be happy. Don't listen. They're liars. And I love that our guy, he goes back and forth because this is, this is me emotionally too. He wishes he had never been born. He's feeling overwhelmed. He's drained emotionally, physically, spiritually. People curse him, insult him, see him as a troublemaker. They don't want him around. And then once again, our guy goes back to Papa. He says, and he speaks his peace to him. He says, I don't know why I even listened to you. You said from the beginning, you'll help me out. And I don't know what you call, what situation I'm in now. But you've been unreliable this entire time. And then fi finally, Papa says, there's a light in the tunnel. 
And it's an arts and craft kind of day. So what he does, he takes him and he shows him to a pottery. Takes him to watch how it's made and shows him that even broken, messed up pottery can be shaped into something way better. And up to this point, our, the family has several times uh, been, been approached, but always bringing bad news. And so they plot to shut him up. And they, shut, they beat him up. They lock him up. They um, ultimately, the number two guy in charge in the family business, whose job it was to keep in order, ends up arresting him and putting him in, you know, in jail. And so our guy is the constant pain inside for his family. And I just want to pause here and kind of tell you who this person is. Because there's a reason why I told you all that leading up to the passage I'm going to preach on this morning. This is the prophet Jeremiah. His life. His story of his family, Judah and Israel, betraying Yahweh, but also betraying him, his family. He's the prophet who has been called by God to go out and speak to his people, but yet they turn away from him. And because here's why I do all that, because simply if we would have came to the passage we pre- I picked on to preach on without giving all the context leading up to it, we missed the bigger picture. Because if I just started where we're going to start here in a second, um, it would have started off with God forcing, coercing, tricking, deceiving Jeremiah into something that he never wanted to do. And that, that's really actually not the case at all in Jeremiah's life. There's actually 20 chapters showing, because I read Jeremiah 1 through 20, there's actually 20 sh- chapters showing that he's been faithful to rescue Jeremiah and sustain Jeremiah over and over. And this is not in, um, on the screen, but in Jeremiah 1 chapter 6, you see this calling that Jeremiah has in his life, and I just want to read it for a second. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he says this, He says, but I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. That's Jeremiah and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. And then look at verses 17 and 9 through 19. Now get ready, Jeremiah. Stand up and tell them everything I command you. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Today I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah. It's officials, it's priests, the population. They will fight against you, but you, they will never prevail over you since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. And so God constantly, in the moments that Jeremiah is walking through fire, has to reassure him, I'm going to be there to rescue you. But actually, it's even hundreds of years before that that he's been uh, proven his faithfulness. You know, the cloud covering over by day, the pillar of fire by night to illuminate in the wilderness, talking to Moses to call him in a consuming fire that didn't burn a bush. And it says, who has heard the voice of the living God speaking in the midst of the fire as we have? He was faithful. Out of the heavens, he let you hear them, the voice discipline you. And the, he, the earth, he let you see his great fire and he heard his words from the midst of the fire. So God has always been there for Israel in a relationship with him, talking to them to rescue them, sustain you. And over and over in the book of Jeremiah, they turn away. 
And so in our, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 20. And uh, you're going to see a conversation with God and Jeremiah. And we're going to think, oh man, can you really say that to God? Uh, but I think there's something, but maybe someone needs to hear this. God wants the real you, not some perfect version of you. That's what he wants. And so let's read verses 7 through 13 out of chapter 20. And I'll unpack what that means for us. Chapter 20, verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I am a laughing stock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction, so the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. And I say I won't mention him or speak of him any longer. But his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it, and I cannot prevail. For I have heard the gospel of many. Terror is on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Everyone I trusted, that's his family, watches for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived so that they might prevail against him and take our vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a valiant warrior. Therefore, my persecutors, again, his family, will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed in everlasting humiliation that will never be forgotten. The Lord of armies testing the righteous and seeing the heart and mind. Let me see her vengeance on them. For I have presented my case to you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he rescues the life of the needy from evil people. Let me just pray over that and then we'll get into our message. God, we love you. Father, we know that sometimes we're not real with you. Father, burden our hearts. If we trust in the gospel, we trust in what you do in, in our lives for us, God, we know that there's a power that you give. And if we're hiding that, Father, we're just getting in the way of you working. So Father, reunite this fire within us. Push us to be like you. And make us your people once again. We love you and thank you. Amen. And so as I processed when I was reading through Jeremiah, as I was processing what um, he had just said, I was, to be honest, really confused. And I was probably confused because I didn't quite understand the voice and faith behind a Hebrew lament, which is what he's doing. And so lamenting in the Bible, to understand Jeremiah, we need to know that lamenting is a normal and even encouraged way of speaking to the Lord. And so the words may seem kind of edgy to us, but this is an accepted way to address the Lord. In fact, a lament is considered an act of faith because you do not question or get angry at a God you do not believe in. And so I feel for Jeremiah in this point. We all come to the end of ourselves. And if you look at Jeremiah's response, it sounds like someone who has grown weary, not just tired, because there's a distinct difference between being tired and being weary. You know that, I know that, I think God knows that. And maybe he even created it to be that way, to be different. Because it's a good thing to be tired. We push ourselves hard through the days given to us, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Our bodies were made to expend energy, to work hard in our jobs, to give our best to everything that lays before us, to go to bed tired enough to sleep as, and sleep as a form of trust in our Father to wake us up. 
So Tyre cannot be good, but it can also be very good. And right, there are moments when I want my son to get tired and go to sleep. Instead, he just screams and cries because he's tired and he won't go to sleep. Weary, though, that's a different ballgame. When we're weary, it seeps into our bones. It settles into our minds, working itself to the core of our thinking. Tiredness washes over us. Weariness invades us. And I want to pair a word with weary, is languishing. When someone is languishing, they are growing weaker. And one of the definitions is to suffer from being forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. And when we remain for any amount of time in a state of weariness, we languish. And it's a form of suffering. But this is where I think the definition lacks a little bit. Being weary is not just being in an unpleasant state or situation. Hopeless, on the other hand, I think that's a good fit. Because looking to Jeremiah's life, you almost hear the weariness in his voice. And he has encountered great difficulties in his life in preaching of the God's message he give, get, give to him. He gave to him. That's wrong, bad English. And often he was arrested and threatened with violence because of the message assigned to him by God. And the message of immediate invasion by the Assyrians and a seven-year captivity, because that's what's happening. God is leading them into captivity. He says, I'm going to teach them a lesson. You're not going to turn to me. I'm going to put you in captivity. And so Jeremiah, he told the people to repent, to seek God's favor, to turn from idols, to, from dark practices of pagan cults, only to be denied the access to the love of the very people he was trying to save. And so Jeremiah languishes for his people, for his family, because he knows invasion's coming, but they won't listen. And I think there's some powerful words given to Jeremiah in chapter 31, woven throughout. He's not just tired, though that was surely part of it. No, he was beyond tired. He and his family were weary and settling into a hopelessness that it might have felt like a weighty substance around their souls. But what I love about chapter 31 is showing that verse 9 and chapter 20 follows throughout in Jeremiah's life. He was obedient to the call that God had given to him to speak to his lost family and to bring them back because at this point they had, they had fixed their relationship. They're in captivity, so we're all in this together now. And so they had fixed their, their issues and they're in this and you have people raise up saying, hey, God's gonna deliver us. And Jeremiah is still saying, well, no, he is, but it's gonna be 70 years from now. So you're not gonna get out, but your kids will. But then throughout chapter 31, all God had put Israel and Jeremiah through, it was to restore the relationship. In verse two, they learn grace and favor in the wilderness. In verse 11, God's redeeming them from evil hands too strong for them. Verse 13, they have mourned deep and they know the miracle of having that mourning turned to joy. Verse 18, they've known discipline from God and the restoration that this discipline has brought time and time again. Verse 19, they've known shame and now know the shame erasing mercy of God. And they now know the words in verse 25, which I love. It's in the ESV. For I satisfy the weary soul in every languishing soul. I will replenish. And I want to pause here. Why satisfy? Why does he say, I will, for I satisfy the weary soul? Why not restore, which goes with the whole theme of restoring the relationship? Because that's what he wants. 
And I think it might be this. When we are the most weary, we are also longing the most for relief, for rest, for rescue, for the not yet and the now. We ache for the vo- feeling the void in our souls. We try to fill it with other things, with drive, with work, with ambition, with drugs. We f- try to fill it by escaping or materialism. We even try to fill it with good works, but even the whole is, the bo- is bottomless and our longing is deep. And, uh, and in the Hebrew, the word satisfy, what I love about it, it's the word rava to be satiated or saturated, to have or drink one's fill, to drench, to water abundantly, to saturate. And in our word, it's the hifil prophetic perfect, A plus I. Meaning someone has caused satisfaction. And the reason why this word is being used, I think, is because it wasn't the rescue from their enemies that would satisfy the Israelites. It wasn't the provision of their needs that would satisfy their longing. It wasn't the promised land that would bring them peace and joy. It was only being filled by the one who has power to do both, completely and fully satisfy their longing and their languishing. Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And the same is true for us today. It is only God who draws us and it is only God who will satisfy our weary souls. He's the only one who can reverse the languishing we experience in life, only him. But what does that look like? And I think looking back at Jeremiah's life, the only way Jeremiah was faithful in the present was because of the fire in the past. But the word of God impacted his life, burned into his heart, deep into his bones. And he's saying, God, I might be going through a whole lot. I might be, but you sparked something inside of me back then when there was nothing in this world that can stop me now from falling after you. Yes, there might be terror on every side of me. Yes, I might be going through things. People have trusted, have broken that trust, but God, you are a valiant warrior. One who is for me, not against me. I will keep on keeping on. I'll show your love to those around me. I'll show your grace when someone hurts me. I'll shake off the dust when I get knocked down, but that is so much easier said than done. So how do we get there? Turn to your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is, I love this passage, and the context is compelling, uh, but I want us to read it first in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you're going to see in the context of Jeremiah and of Paul in 2 Timothy, we're going to see a lot of correlation. Uh, where's 2 Timothy at? There it is. Sometimes I struggle. Okay, we're going to start in verse 5. I remember, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. He's talking to Timothy. This is Paul. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me of his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the time began. Verse 10 is good too. This has now been made evident through the appearing of Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and has brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. 
And what I love about 2 Timothy is the context is so compelling when you look at it. It's because in between the writing of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul has gotten out of jail and then back into jail. The first time he was in prison, so 1 Timothy, it was actually a pretty plus situation. He was able to, he had a rented house, basically he was on house arrest. He was able to have friends over, you know, it was a prison, but it wasn't a terrible arrangement. And the second time, though, in 2 Timothy, not the same thing. It was a completely different ballgame. It was under Nero, and the treatment of Christians have been so bad lately because Nero, out of paranoia, set fire to Rome and then blamed the Christians, which is why Paul ends up in prison. So it's not a safe time for Christians. And so 2 Timothy is unlike 1 Timothy in the sense that it's an intensely personal letter written to Timothy to encourage him in his difficult tasks and to ask him to come to Rome. And can I just pause here what Paul is asking of Timothy? He's saying, I need you to walk to the fire to come to me. I'm in jail. I'm in my last days. And all I want from you is a cloak right now and to be there with me. And sometimes God calls us to walk through fire for his purposes. And so if you're suffering, you feel like God is out to get you, you don't feel like you can get past whatever situation you're going through, time and time again, God rescues the life of the needy. And he has proven faithful over and over. And so 2 Timothy, it's, it's written to Paul's best friend, Timothy, who knew his theology, not to a church like 1 Timothy, or that did not listen to it, or Titus, who did not know his theology. Instead, it was, he knew his time was short. And he said, I fought the good fight. I've ran my race. And he knew his end was at, was coming. It was written in AD 67 in the winter. And he was put to death in the spring of 68. So he knew I had a few short months to live. And all he wanted to do was to encourage this young pastor who had been a mentor to, a spiritual father to. He just really wanted to encourage him to rekindle the fire within him. And I believe in a time like this, I think God is, wants us to do the same. He wants us to rekindle what is going on in our hearts. God used Jeremiah to speak to the Israelites, to speak to his people, but let us not be like those people and turn a deaf ear. God used Paul to encourage Timothy to keep on. So here I am today to tell you, let's see God move. Let's ask that he move in our hearts like a raging fire like we've never seen before. Let's see lives transformed for the gospel. That's why Paul Michael has been so hammering to us discipleship because it's so important. Let's see the deaf hear, the blind see, and let's see the lost be saved this year. So what does a burning fire look like spiritually? The first thing is fire comes from above but must be sustained with love. Fire comes from above. It's not man-made fire we're talking about. The reason why Jeremiah was faithful in the present was because the fire in the past, but that fire was not man-made. It was the Spirit who makes this fire within us. Nothing you can do sparks that fire within yourself. Let's be clear, it's a gift that God gives, but it's not just a gift that makes us unafraid. It's one of power, it's love and sound judgment. And you see in this passage in 2 Timothy that this gift that he's talking about comes on through the laying on of hands praying for one another, which, of course, this is a weird time to be talking about praying, laying on hands. But maybe right now isn't the best time to be doing that, which is anybody, but take this statement for what it's worth. As believers, loving our brother or sister in Christ should be an arm's reach away, meaning you have people in the faith close enough to you, to your life, that you could reach out and they be there. 
We weren't made to do this alone. If you think you can walk alone in life, you're wrong. The weight of the world is too much for you. You're bound to break. Jeremiah's life shows that. He was sustained by God, and about, but time and time again, he broke and wanted to give up. But God kept giving him this burning fire in his bones to keep going. Paul's life shows that too. Time and time again, Paul was beaten and thrown into prison. And he was sustained by God's love, but also Paul had brothers and sisters in Christ who was there for him, who would care for him, who was praying for him, who would walk through the fire for him. That's what God has called us to, to have brothers and sisters in Christ next to us who is an arm length away. And in all things, believe, Paul is going to encourage the saying this, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me and his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. So be in arm's reach of one another and rely on the power of God. And that power comes from above and must be sustained with love. Second thing, being on fire in the past is no guarantee you are today. Hold up. Didn't he just say that the only reason why Jeremiah was faithful in the present was because of the fire in the past? You're right, I did. But I want to say this. Fire goes out if left alone. And eventually, life gets at us, and we forget to do the things that God has called us to do. We often forget to do the first things we were taught when we accepted Christ. Peter Williams says it this way, to rekindle it, that is the fire within us, we need to give more attention to prayer and to the reading of God's word and to regular worship with God's people. Those are the things that we did at the beginning and we must continue to do. And it's not profound, it's not unheard of. It's just the main thing and the main thing comes from the plain things and the plain things are from the main thing, Christ. And if you could think of a time where you were more on fire for God than the flames were growing, I bet you you were reading God's word, you were having more time for prayer and meeting consistently with God's people. And Jeremiah, this is what a practice you see in Jeremiah's life. Because back, I read it earlier in Jeremiah chapter one, God says, I'm gonna rescue you in times when you're in need. And he says that twice in the first chapter. And then if you go through the Jeremiah, he's gonna keep saying God rescues those who are in need. And in our passage, he says, God will rescue those who are needy. So Jeremiah put to heart God's word in his mind. And so when times were getting rough, when he was walking through the fire, he held to a promise that God was going to rescue him in the fire. So I, I encourage you to do that. Memorize scripture. Third and last thing, people are drawn to a roaring fire. People are drawn to a roaring fire. There's just something about a fire that people like. And uh, people are drawn to it. It's like if you're driving by someone who's having a bonfire, you're like, oh, what's going on over there? Oh, that's a bonfire. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Hey, and the, or someone would be like, hey, what are you doing later? Oh, we're having a bonfire. Oh, a bonfire. Can I come? Like, you know, we just want to go. Something about it. And so there's, but this is what I want to say. No matter how much fire Jeremiah spoke with, people still didn't listen. Even he was burning up with the word of God so intently no matter how much fire he spoke or how much fire he spoke into people's lives, they didn't listen. No matter how many sermons Paul spoke and the letters he wrote to churches, people still turned him down. They heard him. They tried to kill him. They had him arrested. He raised up with power, faithfully preached the gospel, but still suffered. And that's why Jesus is far better than Jeremiah and Paul. When Jesus spoke, people were drawn to him. You think about the passage in scripture where he talks about clearing the temple 
And it reminded people that he had so much zeal for the house of the Lord that it reminded a passage in the Old Testament where it says, zeal for my father's house will consume me. When Jesus' words go out, people can't help be drawn to. Jesus was and is the fire shut up inside about the word of God because he is the word of God. John 1 tells us that. One more example real quick. Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. Some disciples were walking from Jerusalem and discussing and arguing about what had taken place. Jesus had been crucified and buried. Little did they know he had risen from the grave, defeated death, and now offers life to all. Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. He's being very sneaky, and he walks up to him and is like, well, why are you arguing? And then they kind of look at him and basically say, like, have you been living under a rock? Well, technically three days, and then he rose again. And um, Jesus made it where they couldn't recognize him. How? I don't know. He's God, so that's a pretty interesting story. But they say it had been since the death, and he was speaking about redeeming Israel and restoring Israel, but when people went to his tomb, his body wasn't there. And so we don't know what to do now. So Jesus, what he does, I love it. You need to read Luke chapter 24. Jesus begins to unpack from the beginning. Moses and the prophets unpacks all the things about himself in the scriptures, and then they eat, and they listen to this in verse 31 and 32. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That's Jesus. But he disappeared from them from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? while he was talking with us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us. People were drawn to a roaring fire. People are drawn to the word of God. That's Jesus. And Jesus, when he said, I read in the scripture, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He's pointing to the cross where he was lifted up for all to see and he died a death we deserved. And all were drawn to see if Jesus actually said who he said he was going to be. If he said he was going to actually make it, if he thought when they died, he, they thought it was all over, Jesus' word meant nothing then. But on Easter morning, he rose, and he truly is the word of God, and the resurrection of life, and the bread of life, and the living water, and the way, the truth, the life, and the one who's the good shepherd, and the one who's a loving father to all. Those who are drawn to me will have life and have a heart burning with the gospel. That's what Jesus says. And once we are drawn to the source of life, the natural outcome, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether in a desert, in paradise, in panic, in comfort, in peace, in the fire, no matter what you're walking through, Jesus rescues the life of those who are in need. That's a promise. So we'll go to him with whatever situation arises, and we have trust in whatever he says goes. Because it always falls back down to, well, what happens if I don't make it out of the fire? you see that in Jeremiah's life. You see him call out to God, speak to God, speak his peace. But he's like, God, you said you were going to rescue me, but yet here I am in captivity now. And then he says in captivity while with the Babylonians, he says it's going to be 70 years. So you probably won't get to see that, but you'll be with me because I offer eternal life for you. And so some questions to end on as we wrap up everything, is are you real with God? Do you feel like you can come to him? And maybe you just feel like God is out to get you and make you suffer. Talk to him, lament, he listens, but know and trust that God is for you and with you. He's for his people. Second question is how's your heart? Is it on fire for God or do you have a, seems like you have a hard time keeping it lit? Because maybe you're trying too hard. Because the Israelites, they tried to offer 
sacrifices after sacrifice. They tried to add good things to do to, to make them right with God. But God said, look, I just need you to trust me and love me. Trusting from above and letting him sustain you. Third, last question. Have you felt your heart burning? That's the spirit. He draws us to him. The gospel is simply Christ offering himself so that way we have life with him. That's what the cross is about. He's pulling you to him. And believers, maybe it's time to rekindle the flame that was once inside of you. Pray that God lights a flame, the gift he's already given to you. In doing so, that gives you power to love those around you. And so maybe there's someone you need to talk to about who Jesus is, or maybe there's a broken relationship in your life that you just need to go to that person and fix it. And maybe it's just time to take seriously the, the call that God has given you. And so the only reason why Jeremiah was faithful in the present was because of the fire in the past. And so I'm here just to remind everyone today that spirit gives that fire. It's power. It's love. It's sound judgment. It's mercy. It's grace. And you have everything you have in Christ right now to serve him faithfully. So I'm here just to tell you, let's, let's just rekindle. Let's fan into the flame the gift that God has given you this year. Let's disciple. Let's get serious about it. Because I want to see lives transformed. For the glory of God alone. Not for me, for God. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for this time of just worship. And Father, that's my prayer for everyone in this room and myself included. Father, spark something in our lives. For those who don't know who you are, Father, pray that you draw them to you. you. When you were lifted up, we were drawn to you because of the sacrifice you made. So God, be with those uh, who are struggling right now, who are weary, who are longing for relief, for rescue. God, push us to be like you. And Father, allow us to trust that we can come to you, not as some perfect version of ourselves, but as the real us, we can come to you and speak to you to know that we trust in you. So God, be with us this week. Allow us to commit to praying together, to reading your word, and to continue meeting together. God, we love you and thank you. Amen.